I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to read in just a moment verse 1, Acts 10 and verse 1. I don't know what your experience of prayer is. Uh, some of you I know because I've talked with you and sat with you, you have prayed for years and years and years, and you have learned much about seeking the Lord and trusting Him, and you have seen many answers to prayer, and some of you, that is your experience. Others of you, um, it may be something that's still new to you, it may be something that you're learning about, and you are praying on occasion, and sometimes you may even have seen God answer, but you just know that there's much more. And you want to grow in this area of your life. Now, this morning, we talked about prayer, and I want to take it just a little deeper tonight in, in one particular area. There's a certain thing that I think happens to us as we begin to get serious about praying that we encounter pretty early on. And it's that thing that we're praying about that we think is a no-brainer that's just obviously we know what God wants to do in this situation and we present that to the Lord and as best we understand it we're asking him to do it um, and it's his will and we are not seeing anything change and how do I respond to that as a believer as his son or as his daughter and and so I want to address that just a little bit tonight because I want to offer a word of encouragement I'm titling this this evening he keeps every prayer. He keeps every prayer. A couple of weeks ago, I had some extended time to be alone with the Lord, and, and this was something he reminded me about, and, and so I want to touch on it tonight with you. In Acts chapter 10, we have the story of Cornelius, and I love this man. He, at this moment, does not yet know Christ, and he is seeking him, although he doesn't know who Christ is yet. And this is what we read in Acts 10. Uh, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, or called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Your Bible may say the Italian Band, and if it does, how many of y'all does your Bible say the Italian Band? Anybody? There's a couple. That's not a group. That's not a music group. Um, it was the Italian Regiment. A, in fact, it was, a, um, it was a group of 100 men. He was a centurion. Uh, in, in the Roman army, in their military organization, a legion was composed of, does anybody know how many men? 6,000 men in a legion, 6,000 men. And, and a legion of 6,000 men was composed of 10 cohorts of 600 men each. And within those cohorts of 600 men, there were divided further groups of 100 men in each one of those men was led by a centurion. He would be like a master sergeant. And so he was usually a tough old bird, and, and you did what he said. And, and this man was a centurion of a group from Italy. This was not their homeland at all. They weren't from anywhere else. They were Italians, and he was a centurion. And it's interesting in the New Testament, centurions are always spoken of with favor in the New Testament. Uh, there's the one that Jesus encountered in... Um, in Luke chapter 7, where he is seeking Jesus to heal his son, or his servant, 
and, and he says to Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You just say the word. I'm a man under authority. I know how this works. He said, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. And, and Jesus is amazed at his faith and speaks very positively of this man and his faith. Later on, the next mention of a centurion occurs at the cross where you had a centurion who was watching what was occurring and listening to what Jesus was saying. And at that moment, uh, he just blurts out. He says, surely this was the Son of God. And again, the centurion is spoken of in a positive way. And so now we come to Cornelius, and he's a centurion. And, and so he was a centurion in what was called the Italian regiment, verse 2. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. And so in his desire to know God, he had not only come to a conclusion himself that this God of Israel was the one true God, but he had influenced his entire household to share his faith where it was at that moment. And so he was a man of influence, and obviously his, his approach to God was one that his family bought into, and they admired as well, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And so he was the real deal. He was practicing his faith as he understood it, and, his, and he was praying to God. And then verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, and it doesn't say he was asleep. It doesn't say that he was um, unconscious or went to a trance or anything like that. It says he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. I think the ESV says he was terrified. And, and so he was absolutely, and this is not a man that, that would be afraid easily. Um, he was absolutely uh, shaken by the vision of this angel. And saying to him, the angel said, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. There was a debate some years ago within Southern Baptist life, decades ago, when a sitting president at Southern Baptist Convention made the comment that God does not hear the prayers of, of lost people. And, um, and it was all taken out of context, and, and this, this gentleman was misunderstood and that sort of thing. But it caused a great discussion. It caused a debate, as things like that do. And there was a lot of discussion. Does God hear the prayers of lost people? Well, he certainly heard the prayers of Cornelius, didn't he? And the Bible tells us that the prayers he prayed came up to God, and it has this idea of ascending, came up to God as a memorial. And that word has in it the idea of reminding or, or causing someone to remember. Not that God had forgotten anything, but, but these prayers and his acts of faith and giving to the poor had come to God and captured the attention and the heart of God. And as the story goes on, he's told to send uh, someone to go get Peter. And, you know, Peter has a vision at the very moment these guys arrive. And he's told to go with them. And Cornelius and his household ultimately hear the gospel. And they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the gospel now goes to the Gentiles in the same way that it's been going to Jewish people. And God uses Peter to do that. Now, why didn't the angel share the gospel? with Cornelius because that's not the job of the angel is it 
God has, has given that assignment to you and to me. He's given that assignment to his people. But the angel was definitely a messenger from the Lord, sent by God to direct Cornelius into something that was going to change his life. Uh, two or three things I want to say tonight. I want to encourage you in this way, to never quit praying. Never quit praying. Never give up. Never stop. Don't become so discouraged that you say it doesn't make any difference whether I pray or not. And let me point out several reasons why we shouldn't quit. First, he's always listening. If he would hear a man like Cornelius, he would hear someone like you. Those of you that know him and you've trusted him especially, you're his child and he, he always listens to you. There are four basic answers to our prayers. Uh, you probably have studied these in Sunday school, Bible study, or you've heard another pastor talk about it. But there's four basic answers. We know the ones we're probably most familiar with. There's the yes. Well, that's our favorite one, okay, where God says yes. And we know that from verses like 1 John 5.14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so we know that if I'm in the zone and I have apprehended or gained a sense of what God wants to do in a given situation and I pray that, then God does that and his answer is Yes, we also know that he answers sometimes in a second way, and that's the word no. That's probably our least favorite answer. But in the providence of God, we must trust that God is good, and everything God does is good, and everything he does in relationship to you and me is good. And so when God says no, that's a good thing. And it is our best interest, and it's his purpose for our life that's at stake. There's a third answer, and that's the word wait. And what we're going to talk about here kind of addresses that. And that means the answer is coming, but it's coming on his time and not mine. I'll say more about that in a moment. But there's a fourth answer we don't tend to talk about very much. And uh, yes, no, wait, and I'm just going to use the word reject. Um, there's a certain kind of prayer that's just a total reject. And uh, he hears, I mean, he knows there's nothing he does that he's not aware of, that we do that he's not aware of. But he refuses to respond when you and I ask with the wrong motives. And he describes this in James chapter 4. And I referred to it this morning. Uh, but he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you say, well, I'm asking. Well, verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so it's just a, a prayer that's rejected. It's not that the person's not praying. But they're asking for something that is completely has no regard for the heart of God or the will of God, and it's a selfish prayer. And, and that one, you can just call to put that under no, I suppose, but I would, I would add it as a fourth category, just outright rejected. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ultimately, when I pray, when you pray, our desire should be that we bring glory to God through our prayer requests. And oh God, would you answer this? We believe our desire is that you would be glorified, that your name would be made great. And so we are bringing this request to you. And so asking in his name is to make his name the most significant part of the outcome. So he's always listening. There's four basic answers to prayer. But um, 
but he is always listening. He is always hearing. There is nothing that you're doing. There's nothing that you're thinking that he is not aware of. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so he is fully aware and, um, of what you're saying. Now, Cornelius' prayers were described as a memorial, and it's saying that, that it reminded God, which it's not that he forgets, but it, in this figurative language, it, it was a reminder, something that was precious to him that, that caused him to recall who Cornelius was and what kind of man he was, and it captured the attention and the heart of God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, always watching, always watching, for what? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And that word loyal means whole. The person whose entire heart is in their, their seeking of God and their praying to God. And God's always looking for that kind of person. And it's almost as if the moment that all the heart is engaged, he, you have his full and immediate attention. So he is always listening. That alone should cause you and I to never quit praying. The moment you and I sit down, the moment we, driving down the road, wherever you are, at home, at night, in the evening, whenever you pray, the moment you turn to him, he is listening. Second thing, he will answer. The second thing is that he will answer. Um... I think the very first, well, maybe the second sermon or so that I preached here, I pointed out that Jesus taught us when he prayed, he said, ask, and literally he says, ask and keep on asking, and you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And then in Matthew 7 and in Luke 11, where he says the same thing, he follows up that statement, ask and seek and knock with this statement, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who is asking is receiving. Everyone who asks receives. Does he leave anybody out of that statement? Everyone who asks receives. And so he will answer. Now, I may not like the answer. We've talked about that, but he does answer. In Psalm 126, verse 5, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In context, it was talking about the exiles who wanted to go home, who wanted to see the nation restored. And he's assuring them, you keep sowing tears, you keep sowing tears, and you're going to reap with joy. And the law of sowing and reaping carries all the way into the New Testament. We read it in Galatians 6, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And he's applying it to our, our working and our serving of God, and it certainly applies to our prayer life. So he will answer. There's a third thing, reason why we shouldn't quit praying. And this is really what I wanted to call your attention tonight, what I see in Cornelius and his life. That's this. He never loses track of any of my prayers. You shouldn't quit praying because he never loses them, any of them. 
your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. All of every prayer Cornelius ever prayed, God still had that prayer before him. There are moments when you and I feel like that nothing is ever going to change. There are some things and some people that I have prayed for since I became a Christian in 1978. And I have not yet seen the answer to some of those prayers. Other prayers, I, I pray last week, and I saw God do some things two weeks ago. I, each day, there was one stretch there for about three days in a row where I, I prayed about something, and I saw something happen every day in relationship to that. But there's other things I've been praying for for a long time. And, and if you and I come to a place where we say, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, I'm praying this thing, and I've been praying this thing for years, and nothing's ever happening, so why am I doing this? Here's why you need to keep doing it. Because every time you pray, that prayer is precious to him. It is a treasure to him. And he takes that prayer, and he hangs on to it in a way that I saw a few weeks ago that was absolutely striking to me. It's remarkable to me. Maybe you already knew this. But God keeps every prayer that has ever prayed to him in bowls. Some of y'all looked up when I said that. The, um, I brought a bowl with me. I think God's bowl is a lot better than my bowl, <laughs> for sure. And, um, and I'm going to read the scripture here in just a moment to support this notion. But, but I want you to get the picture in your mind before I read the scripture. Um, there are prayers that you and I are praying that we may not see answered in our lifetime but may be answered across generations there are some things that are happening today that are in response to the prayers not of living Christians but of Christians who have since gone on to be with the Lord and what, what the Bible is, is telling us is that every time you pray every time that you pray that that prayer ascends before the Lord like a memorial, it says, for Cornelius. And God hangs on to that prayer and keeps it. And let's say you pray about the same thing or you pray about something else the next day. That prayer ascends before the Lord, goes to him, and he keeps it. Now, you thought it was just hitting the ceiling maybe and bouncing back down. But that's not what the scripture is describing. And then you pray that prayer again, and it goes up to the Lord. And you may pray about that same thing a hundred times. And God hangs on to every single instance that you came to him and cried out to him and called on his name about that particular thing. You say, well, Don, where, where do you see that? Well, I saw it in a couple of places. Um, I see it in the life of Cornelius, and it's alluded to there, but it's, it's explicitly described in Revelation 5, verse 8. And if you don't want to look it up, you can just jot it down. I just want to make reference to both of these. Uh, Revelation 5 is a description of heaven, which is the ultimate reality. You and I aren't part of that yet. Um, we are in the sense that we're in Christ. But what God does in Revelation 4 and 5 is he pulls back the, the wall, the barrier between the seen and the unseen, and he lets us see a glimpse into heaven and what's happening in heaven. And what, what's happening is people are there, and they are, they are saying, when is someone going to come along who can open up this scroll? And because when this particular scroll is open, it starts a sequence of events that ultimately leads to the 
full and complete expression of the kingdom of God on earth. And we're, we're taught to pray for that. Your kingdom come. We're, we're taught to ask for that to happen. And so in heaven, they're, they're waiting to say, who's worthy to open the scroll? And then along comes the Lion of Judah. And he, he opens the scroll, and then they just go wild. I mean, the people that are there, the, the creatures that are there, they just go wild. And the course of that response in Revelation 5, verse 8, it says, When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Later on in the next chapter, so it describes how that there were those who were beheaded, persecuted, killed for their faith in the course of the evil that just gets thicker and heavier and stronger on the planet. And these individuals are there saying, Lord, how long? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? And he says, just hang on. There's still others like you who are going to die the way that you died. And, and so there are these people who are crying out, people who are praying, people who are dying for their faith. In Revelation 8, uh, verses 3 and 4, it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. So there's this idea of incense and the prayers being commingled on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And it's like all of that comes before the Lord. The prayers are like incense that is a fragrant and precious aroma to the Father. And we have come to the moment in history when every prayer that's ever been prayed is about to be resolved. Some of those prayers are perhaps thousands of years old. But God has not lost one of them. Not a single prayer that ever left the lips of one of his children has ever been lost or dropped to the ground or was ignored. And he captures all the prayers of the saints and all of your prayers as you cry out to him. And he captures them and he brings them together. And there will be a resolution. There will be an answer. There will be an ultimate response of God to the cries of his people. And you can be encouraged. Whether you're praying for a family member and you come to a place where you know you're leaving before they are and you don't know what's going to happen to them, every prayer you've ever prayed, the Father has heard those cries. You may be praying for grandchildren. You may be a young person praying for grandchildren. I know Gail and I began praying for our children and grandchildren before they existed, before there was a sparkle in anybody's eye. And maybe you had prayed for them. And I want you to know that God hears every single prayer. He keeps your prayers. And so what are you praying about? What is it that you've been praying about for years and years? You've said, oh God, this dear one, I want them to know Christ. Oh God, I'm praying for my community or my town or for my school or for my church. Oh, God, how long? And as you come to him and you're putting all of that before him, he hears you. He will answer. 
And I can't tell you how long it'll take. It may take longer than you have time to live. But God ultimately will hear and respond to the cries of his people. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. I want us to take a few moments to respond to him. And this is our worship. This is our way of responding to him and what he has said to us. And as always, when we sing, we can worship him in song. And the song itself may be an expression of what God has said to us and what we want to say to him in return. You may need to just grab the back of the pew, not in a resistant way, but just to bow your head and say, Oh God, I heard what you'd said to me, and I will not flag, I will not quit, I will not stop. And I know that you have put certain things on my heart, and Lord, I'm going to be faithful to pray for those things, about those things. And I can't do anything about them, just like we said this morning, and I'm going to release it to you. It's your problem, not mine. But I know that you put that on my heart, and I'm going to bring it to you, Lord, again, and as often as you call me to. The altar's open. You can pray alone or with someone. The staff will be here. The pastors will be here at the front. We'd be happy to pray with you. If you're here tonight you don't know Jesus, let me introduce you to him. I would love to do that. Just come and talk to me or talk to one of the pastors, and we'll, we'll help you know Christ and how you can walk with him. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us the truth about our prayer life. And may that person who has been struggling in this area, may they be encouraged. And may each of us find a whole new place to stand as we pray. As we see Cornelius and how every prayer he prayed came before you. Help us, Lord, to be like him. Help us to learn and grow in this way. As we respond to you now, Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts and minds. Enable us to worship you fully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.